It's Quich on the It's Nick here, and you're listening to TFUV 101.9 FM. Broadcasting from the traditional territories of the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Husanich people. Hi there, you're listening to You in the Ring on CFUV 101.9 FM. My name is Dominique, and I'll be your host. On this episode, we're going to take a dive into an alternative teaching style that a history professor at UVic has adopted into her upper-level history courses. Imagine Dungeons and Dragons, but instead of wizards and rogues as characters, you have real historical figures like Richard Nixon, Phyllis Schlafly, and Walter Cronkite. This form of pedagogy called reacting to the past is relatively new, but it's totally revamping the way students learn about history. Today we're going to hear from Dr. Rachel Cleves, who has introduced reacting to the past pedagogy to UVic with great success. We'll also hear from some of her students who will share their thoughts on this pedagogy and what they've learned from it. But first, here's a glimpse of what an actual reacting to the past class session would sound like. This is an NBC special news report, brought to you by the Gulf Oil Corporation. Breaking news. We have just received information concerning the National Democratic Convention in Chicago. Abby Hoffman, a leading figure in the protests, has revealed that protesters are planning to interfere with the convention session. They are calling for a sit-in on the delegates' debate on the war in Vietnam. It's a hateful, hateful war. Why are we even there in the first place, right? I mean, think about how many problems we have here, and then for some reason we're shipping off all our young men over to Vietnam. I have a message to Mayor Daley. If he tries to arrest anyone, uh, we are going to cause a riot, and that's a promise. It would seem that Abby Hoffman is keeping his promise. I, David Dellinger, have written this speech for all gathered here in these streets, for the powerful people sitting in that convention, for all the Americans tuning in to what's going on here in Chicago and those abroad who might be listening. I'm here to tell the world why we need to get our young men out of Vietnam now. I have just received word from Mayor Daley that Mayor Daley would like to arrest Jerry Rubin. <laughs> Once again, we will see. Can Jerry Rubin escape the Chicago PD? Low roll arrested, high roll escapes. Escapes, but I have to give Mayor Daly the chance to beat you down. We've not forgotten how Mayor Daly knew that we promised to keep our land peaceful, but then still sent his pigs to ambush us and drag us to jail. We've not forgotten how they voted to maintain the war effort in Vietnam after millions of people have already been murdered, injured, and displaced. The delegates of Mayor Daly say they want peace in these streets, but we know that's not true. All they want is for us to be complicit while they play their Cold War game. LBJ and the rest of them tell us that this war is a necessity, but we, Yippies. Students, civil rights activists, and pacifists alike know this war is wrong. See, it's not all fun and games. There's some serious learning going on in there, too. Next, we'll go to my interview with Dr. Cleves, who shares her thoughts about teaching these classes. My name is Rachel Hope Cleves. I'm a professor of history at the University of Victoria and a member of the College of New Scholars, Artists, and Scientists of the Royal Society of Canada. Uh, I trained as an American historian, and I'm the author of three books. I teach a lot of courses in U.S. history at UVic, uh, from 
intro level courses uh, like the U.S. History Survey to graduate level courses in history of sexuality or the history of food. I also teach a um, 100 level uh, history of food course. And then I have started the last couple of years teaching these reacting to the past courses. Could you kind of explain the role playing strategy games that you've been using as a, a tool to teach history and kind of how they work in a classroom setting? So reacting to the past is a type of pedagogy, a, a type of um, teaching design that has uh, emerged out of um, Barnard College at Columbia University in New York City. And they were invented like in the, I think, late 1990s by a professor who felt like the students in his classroom were not as engaged in discussion as and in, in taking apart primary sources as he would wish. And so he came up with this idea of having students do these uh, complex role play games, which were set at sort of pivotal moments, like, you know, the trial of Socrates or something like that, where um, they would read the primary sources and engage the ideas um, you know, about um, what are the responsibilities of a teacher within a society? What sort of, you know, in the case of um, the trial of Socrates, right? What ideas can be allowed and what ideas can't be allowed? He wanted them to engage these big ideas by serving as Socrates or members of the jury or Socrates's friends. Um, and the experiment was very successful and he started um, sharing it with others. And so now there's this big community of professors across North America. I don't know if it's being taught, uh, if these games are taught outside of North America that much, but there's a big community of um, professors who teach these games at uh, different universities and there's lots and lots and lots of games. Um, there are uh, new ones being developed all the time. And so uh, this semester in the course I'm teaching, two of the games we are doing are still in development. One of them is published after you know many years of um, revision. And the games um, typically assign uh, students um, uh, real historical roles, although sometimes these are archetypes rather than specific individuals. Like if they're doing a, a course that's set in you know the fifth century BCE, it might be more like village woman <laughs> rather than a specific person. But the more modern courses, they're specific people. Um, so students uh, learn about the historical context of the game through uh, readings and lectures. And then they research their own role and um, they draw on primary sources created in the time and place under study to um, engage in sort of uh, typically fairly like intellectual debates uh, that were um, pivotal to these historical moments. What made you specifically decide to start using these games to teach history and um, how did you first hear about them? I don't remember how I first heard about them. I actually was a graduate of Barnard College where the games were developed um, and I won a prize as an undergraduate in the name of the person who invented these games. His name is Mark Carnes, and he was uh, in the American Studies program, and I was an American Studies undergraduate. But I don't think he started the games until after I graduated, so I definitely didn't experience them as an undergraduate. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I must have heard them mentioned at uh, conferences. There's a lot of the games 
are set in uh, US history. And so maybe I heard about them that way. And I think I wanted to try them because my favorite part of teaching is student engagement. You know, like I like an active classroom. I like, I, I mean, I can talk forever and I'm happy to lecture and I have endless, you know, sort of historical interests that I can go on about. But I think as a professor, I'm aware that the students learn more when they are doing the talking and they are trying to, you know, make sense of the material for themselves. And so, um, so I've tried a lot of different approaches to um, encouraging student discussion over the years. And I finally decided to take the plunge and try these RTTP games to see if um, they'd be effective. And what games have you played so far? So this course uh, in spring 2021, it's the third time I've tried teaching these games and I've taught um, different games over the three semesters that I've experimented with this pedagogy. So I taught um, uh, two games from antebellum America, like pre-Civil War America. I taught one game called Red Clay 1835, which was about the um, moment at which the Cherokee Nation was negotiating a possible treaty of removal with the US federal government. And it's this um, you know, really significant inflection point that um, leads to uh, the history of Cherokee removal and you know, this incredibly uh, tragic episode in US history, uh, the Trail of Tears, a, a, a genocidal removal of the Cherokee Nation from their traditional homelands that resulted in the death of about a quarter of, of the people of that nation on, on the path. And we don't know how many because of the nature of um, this, this genocidal context. So that, that, court, that game was, I thought, amazing for understanding all the complexities of what went into um, you know, all the pressures on the Cherokee Nation leading up to removal. I taught a game called Frederick Douglass, 1845, which was about slavery and anti-slavery. That was a really challenging game because some students uh, had to make pro-slavery arguments. Um, but again, I thought it was a really intense learning experience about, uh, you know, the, the conversation about and around slavery in, um, in the uh, pre-Civil War era. Then um, I taught uh, in the fall, of 2020, of course, like early history through role playing. So we started with a game about the Black Plague set in 1349 England, Black Plague comes to Norwich. And that was really interesting to do in the context of uh, COVID, uh, which is why I chose it. <laughs> and then we played a game called Bacon's Rebellion 1676, which is about this really pivotal a political event in colonial American history, which a lot of historians believe is the turning point at which um, the, the Southern colonies of the future United States embraced uh, the enslavement of African peoples um, as their primary labor force. So um, that was again, an exciting and dramatic and, you know, but like super significant game. Then we played a game called Jumonville Glen, 1754, which is about this um, disastrous first military engagement by George Washington as a young and callow militia leader that helps to spark the Seven Years' War. 
And then this semester, I'm doing a role-playing, history through role-playing in the modern era, and I decided to focus in very narrowly on three games um, set between 1968 and 1977 that I think help us to understand um, American politics and the culture war in the United States today. And so those three games are Chicago 1968, which is about the riots at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago in 1968, and about the debates within the Democratic Party about the Vietnam War and um, the um, you know other domestic policies of, of that period, the Great Society Program, civil rights, et cetera. And um, now we're doing Watergate 1973 to 1974, which is all about the Watergate crisis. And then finally, we're going to end with um, a game called Houston 1977, which is about a feminist convention that happened in Houston and um, tackle the issues around like abortion and gay rights and other things that continue to be like so divisive and significant in uh, U.S. politics today. How have your students responded to these games? Is it usually a positive response? Do they, do they enjoy it? I've been amazed. That's why I keep teaching it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, was, I was really anxious about teaching it the first time. So the first time I taught the pedagogy, I did it in a summer class that was like three and a half weeks because I thought, okay, if it goes awful, at least it'll be over quickly, right? <laughs> I won't have to suffer through it for an entire semester. So it was a I think it was a June course and it was in the afternoons, uh, you know, two hours every afternoon. And I, I could not get students out of the classroom. It was crazy. It was like class would end at 4 p.m. and it was like beautiful outside. And, you know, I'd be like, okay, time's up, tick, tick, tick. And um, the students would be like, no, 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 we've got more to say. And I'd be like, no, 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 I have, I have to go. It's four o'clock on a, you know, Friday afternoon in June and I want to go out for a walk on the beach. <laughs> It's time to go now. So that's, you know, that's not a typical classroom experience when you can't kick the students out of the classroom. Um, so I was so encouraged by that experience that I decided to create this um, two semester reacting to the past um, sequence, right? Early history in the fall and modern history in the spring. And I left it very vague. So anybody else in the history department could teach these courses and choose um, games that you know are in their own geographical uh, specialty, and and I've I've been thrilled with the way they've been going online. You know, for example, um, we teach we we the class is conducted through a combination of Zoom and uh, Slack, which is an online messaging software, and like the Slack messages keep going on and on and on, <laughs> you know, at various times as students are you know, strategizing for, um, uh, you know, for the gameplay. And I wear an Apple Watch and there's like a specific buzz that I get when there's like Slack notifications and I'll be like sitting there at 9.30 p.m. on my couch and my watch is going like buzz, 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 buzz. Like, wow. So anyway, I've been very, you know, I feel like the student reaction has been very positive. I can definitely vouch for the fact that this class has been one of the most engaging classes of my whole semester. I'm in six classes right now. Oh, wow. And I definitely, like, this is the class that I put the most effort into because I know that it really matters how much effort I put into it. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the main things that makes the class work is the student's sense of responsibility to each other because the games are structured so that students are really in teams working together to achieve a set of goals. And you know that like if you don't do your part of the game, then the you let the game down, you let your teammates down. Like you need to be there to do it. And so um you know, it's just, I think it's a remarkably effective mechanism and people like, they really are games and we all like to win games. <laughs> so there is that sort of like, you know, if you're the journalist, you might be really itching for that Pulitzer Prize in the game or. I know that I'm definitely more engaged in class, but with your, your previous classes, do you find that the role-playing really does keep more students engaged in the material as opposed to traditional kind of lecture style classes, especially online? Yes, 100%. So um, the thing that I am most impressed about with uh, how students respond to the games is the way that they um, engage with the primary sources. So. In class on Wednesday, students were engaged in um, uh, debating before the United States Supreme Court in a sort of recreation of a, a famous um, lawsuit, uh, you know, uh, the United States versus Nixon, um, where uh, the House Judiciary Committee had subpoenaed these uh, secret tapes that were recorded by President Nixon in the Oval Office, and President Nixon was resisting um, uh, producing the tapes by claiming uh, that he had executive privilege that overrode uh, this uh, House committee subpoena. And so the students, uh, you know, on either side of this debate were making their case before the court. And just the way students were engaging with the, the primary sources that they were drawing on both from the the course materials and from clearly additional research that they had done outside of the course materials was just, you know, I was so impressed with it, right? Like it was, it was so above and beyond what I typically see from students and how they engage primary sources. Like if I were lecturing on Watergate and then supplying them with a reader, and then we had a discussion section, right? Like that's our traditional pedagogy. I lecture you read the primary sources and then we sit down, you know, for like a 50 minute strained conversation where I ask questions and like one or two students answer. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I find that engagement is so much broader in these games. Like there really is space for lots of students to engage. And, and um, the fact that you have to go to the sources with a specific intention, like you're looking for something for a specific purpose, to make a specific argument, right? It just makes for a type of like deep reading of the sources that I think um, is above and beyond what I usually see in, in classes. And what about actual learning? Do you think students um, actually learn and absorb more about um, history than they would in the traditional lecture course? You know, I, I can't answer that. I mean, I think there's a lot of educational research out there about how little students retain from lecturing. So um, what they say is like, if you give students a quiz, like, you know, two hours after a lecture, three months after a lecture, a year after the course, there's like huge diminishing returns. And we just don't, you know, like we might enjoy a lecture and learn from it, like while we're in the classroom, but like, 
our likelihood of retaining it, that information at the end is low. So, I mean, I know for myself, like as a lifelong learner, cause I'm a scholar. So like, that's what I do, right? Like I'm always learning. Um, it's the act of processing material of like writing about things and thinking about things in a kind of engaged way or speaking about things that, that makes me absorb them at a kind of deeper level. And so I suspect that for students in these reacting to the class, sorry, reacting to the past classes, there'll be a similar um, uh, impact, right? That the act of, of going into the sources with a sort of intentionality so that they can talk about it and um, make these speeches and answer these questions and negotiate and um, will lead to them kind of absorbing the, the history on a, a different level than just reading it alone or like studying it for a test and then answering test questions. Yeah, for sure. I think one of my my favorite parts about this course is um, not just learning the material, but being immersed in it and and having a sense of what it might have been like to be part of an anti-war protest in the 60s and what it might have felt like to be a journalist during the Watergate crisis. And I think just um, just having those feelings is, is a huge um, it's a huge thing for me. It's it's taught me a lot about about those time periods. So. The game designers also are, so there is some social science research on these games and their impacts. And one of the things the game designers point to is that um, they argue that games really um, promote student empathy because they require you to be in the um, shoes of these historical figures, right? And that is something that students have told me, uh, you know, in our discussions of how the games work and how they're experiencing it, that um, that it's really improved their ability to like see the past through the eyes of others, and also more generally just to like see the world around them through the eyes of others. You step outside of yourself, right? For sure. Even if you're you're acting as a villain, you have to kind of step into their shoes and say, "Hey, what were they feeling at this point in time? Why were they saying the things that they were saying?" So yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. So right now, I think you're the only professor at UVig using this style of teaching. Do you think that this uh, that these games should be more widely adopted within the the faculty or the department? I would encourage anyone to try it. I have encouraged. I've spoken about it obviously with my uh, colleagues. I I have to say, like before I taught my first um, game, I was pretty skeptical about them. I you know historians. We are uh, fixated on evidence, right? And so I was worried about like that it was too fictional, right? Like that um, it was make-believe rather than sort of evidence-driven. And it wasn't until I taught the course that I realized just how good the um, approach was at getting students to engage with evidence. And then I felt relieved, like it's okay if you speaking as, um, you know, Carl Bernstein or, or whomever else, if you are in a sense, like having a, a fictionalized uh, a relationship with this historical figure, like you're, you're putting words in, in Dan Rather's mouth, right? But, um, you know, but the games are so deeply historical 
and evidential because or evidentiary because you you know you're basing it in in these close readings of the sources. So like I, I guess you know I was skeptical that it was sort of like play and not serious. Um, and then I taught the courses and I thought okay actually it it requires a level of seriousness that I hadn't I hadn't understood until I use the games. Also, you know, I do think the games would be good, not just in um, history classes, like the one we're using right now, for example, is written by a political scientist and used by um, political scientists, political science faculty. Um, there's a number of uh, hard science games, like micro games. Actually, oh, that was another one um, I taught, I forgot. Uh, I did a brief game about the uh, London cholera epidemic of 1854. And um, so those sort of games can be like great, I think, in public health setting or, um, you know, other like uh, uh, pre-med sorts of courses. There's all sort, you know, so there, and there's a lot of these micro games that are shorter, flashpoint games that are only meant to take you know, two class periods or. Have you run into any challenges with these games? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest challenge um, is around um, hard topics like genocide uh, and slavery and racism, um, because, you know, to teach, like when I teach um, early American history or U.S. history in general, like, Genocide, colonialism, displacement, enslavement, these are core themes in US history, right? And when I lecture on them, um, obviously my lectures come from a, a moral point of view that um, uh, enslavement was, you know, a terrible injustice and crime with <laughs> ongoing consequences that, you know, uh, genocide was brutal and wrong. Um, when you play these games, you know, if you're going to play a game about um, the origins of um, the shift to African enslavement in the United States, like there's going to be uh, voices advocating for enslavement, right? And it's one thing for me as the professor to tell students, like, listen, during the 19th century, many Americans were pro-slavery. Like they, they didn't, it wasn't just like an accident that slavery developed. They supported this system. They rationalized it. They uh, spoke about the, in, you know, what they saw as the inferiority of people of African descent, right? Like they justified the violence and the brutality. Um, it's one thing to, for me as the professor to lecture on that and for students to hear that information that way. It's another thing to have students speak in the voice of a, a, a John C. Calhoun or another pro-slavery apologist and make an argument for this is why, um, you know, enslavement is a natural and positive uh, way in which to organize our society. Um, and so, uh, or, or to speak in the voice of, um, you know, the governor of Georgia in 1835, who uh, hates indigenous people and with a, you know, genocidal passion and wants to evict them from 
uh, the state of Georgia. So I really struggle with um, whether or not it is um, ultimately like a positive thing to have students express those sort of sentiments in the classroom, right? Even though there's always a rule that um, all students agree to, you know, that we, we don't use racial slurs, like there's limits on the extent to which we would recreate the past. And obviously one hard limit is that there's no space for racial slurs in the classroom. Uh, it would, it's, um, you know, not conducive to anybody's learning and, so, I mean, so there's limits already, but even in the absence of using racial slurs or, you know, other sort of like deeply offensive language, um, I, I still struggle over whether or not it makes sense to license students or to encourage students to voice um, uh, views that are just so anathema to us today. Um, and so I've talked about this with students over, you know, I always engage with it directly. Um, and um, students tell me that they feel like it is worth it in this, like it's deeply uncomfortable, but on the other hand, they feel like they, because of that, um, the way in which empathy works in these games, they reckon with the legacies of genocide and racism in a sort of deeper way and, and, and feel it more strongly from reenacting these experiences, but I worry, and I, you know, I do worry that like um, the costs outweigh the benefits, but it, but it would make it, I think, very hard for me to teach any course, for example, in, you know, early America, um, because genocide and slavery are so central to, to early American history, it's hard to imagine, you know, how we could teach those games. Um, or teach games set in early America without opening up those um, challenges. So anyway, I'm still sort of on the fence about it. I don't know if I'll always teach games on those themes or if maybe I'll just be more selective. Yeah, I guess I've been in some lecture classes and some seminars on genocide and they're, they're difficult. They're really difficult to learn about, but I feel like um, learning about really difficult things in this context, in the context of the game, I think is so much different because you're in, in a group that's kind of experiencing it together mm -hmm. and get to relate to each other and talk to each other about it. And I think that that has huge value and that's not something that you necessarily get from um, a class where you're just in a lecture and you don't necessarily get to know the people you're in class with. Um, so I think having that community around these classes is super important, um, especially when when dealing with really difficult stuff. You really empathize with what actually happened, and I think I, I think I agree that it's it's a good thing. It's really hard to go through, but it is overall a good thing to learn about. I mean, I felt that way when I was teaching the um, both the Red Clay 1835 game about Cherokee removal and the Frederick Douglass 1845 game about slavery. In both those games, I saw how like the students who were anti-removal, who were playing the role of um, Cherokees who were leading the movement against being removed from um, their homeland, those students are just devastated because the game did not go their way, which of course it's not designed to go their way, right? Because actually 
the history is a history of removal. And so these games are weighted towards the historical outcome. Um, and yeah, the student, I mean, that was one of the reasons why students couldn't leave the classroom, right? Or I had a student hand in like, who was playing one of the leaders of the anti-removal faction, you know, handed in like 10 papers. <laughs> and I was like, you know, you know, I'm gonna stop counting them after like three, like when you've done three for this, you'll have hit your A plus or whatever it is. And I mean, she handed in like 10, because obviously it was not for the grade, it really made no difference after paper three. I mean, but it was about, cause she was like, just so upset about losing or the potential of, she was so upset about, you know, removal, right? Yeah, it's so interesting how the games go. Um, what's your plan for the future with these with these classes? And do you maybe intend to write your own game book one day? <laughs> um, it's so tempting. I just got an email from, I'm, I belong to like the consortium, you know, reacting to the past consortium. I, I, I pay dues to get the games and everything. And I just got an email from them today uh, advertising a game writer's workshop. And I am so tempted. You know, I'm tempted because, especially because I feel like a lot of the games are focused on men and I would like there to be more games with more roles, female roles. Obviously when we're playing the games, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I don't try to match students' gender or like ethnicity or something to the roles, right? Like it's all randomly assorted, uh, but I would like more, I mean, the game we're playing right now has no, Watergate has not a single female role in it. And so I would like more games that actually women as historical actors. And so I feel like I could, I could contribute to the um, library of these games by writing one of those. If I want them to exist, I could step up and uh, write one. But I have a lot of other writing projects right now. So I think maybe um, I am going to teach these courses again, not in 2021 to 2022, but I think probably the uh, following year I'll teach one, at least one. Uh, section. Um, so maybe I'll get some more experience under my belt and bring some of the things I'm writing right now to fruition. But in the future, I could definitely imagine when I'm more experienced uh, writing one of these games. Is there anything else you'd like to share about these courses or anything else before we, we end off? Yeah, I'll just say that, um, you know, one of the, another wonderful thing about these courses, in my opinion, is the, um, the way that it fosters community among the students. I feel like such a positive vibe the students have towards each other. It's such a, the games produce such a like supportive uh, classroom dynamic. And I really feel like they give students opportunities to like become friends with each other in a way that um, maybe a lot of tra more traditional pedagogies don't. When we were still face-to-face -face, when I taught that first course, you know, we ended with, um, on the last day of class, we went out for uh, drinks at, um, at Fells, and it was just so nice. It was like all the students really had a sense of each other by the end of the class. And so that, it makes teaching a joy. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and optimism about this pedagogy, Dr. Cleves. Now we'll switch gears and listen to a group interview with some of the students who have taken Dr. Cleves reacting to the past classes. I'm Al Wheeler. I am a fourth year uh, theater major slash history minor at the University of Victoria. Um, I've actually taken all three iterations of this course. So in 
the spring of 2019, I was like, I want to take a history course. And I saw that there was a civil war class being offered. I was like, hey, this will like give me an introduction into what um, his, what the history department is like. Some old white man will teach me about the civil war. Someone will be like, oh, the flag's heritage, not hate. I'll be like, yes, it is hate. And then like I walk into class and it's this like 40 year old woman standing there like, okay, we're about to do some historical LARPing. And I'm like, what? What did I just sign up for? I did not expect this, but I fell in love with the pedagogy. I thought, what, cause I'm a theater major. Um, I'm also someone that's always been like, very much loves the past, likes to pretend like I'm an historical figure. I like, I've always been that way. So this class just kind of allows me to like express that, be these like historical um, characters, really live in their shoes. And like, it's like theater in many ways, acting and being an actor and being a historian are very similar. Um, Stella Adler, who is one of the most um, recognized uh, theater, uh, what's it called, acting coaches, she talks about how when you're an actor, you need to be able to put yourself in the position, know the history, understand the world that that character is living in. And the histor and historians need to do the exact same thing with history and be able to understand the circumstances and what was influencing their lives at that time and not putting our own modern perspective on things. So I think this class really allows you to step into those shoes and realize the importance of not thinking about things from your present mindset, but putting yourself into that historical mindset. Hi, my name is Clay Sheldon. Uh, I'm a BFA graduate from the writing department, uh, then decided to get my second degree. Uh, now I'm a fourth year at the theater department in the directing stream. I originally took this class uh, I had like a free elective I needed to take. I just needed to take a free elective and I, I honestly didn't care which one it was. And a friend of mine recommended this history class that he was taking and it's awesome and it's great. And I just rolled my eyes. Uh, just, I, history is so boring. Oh, it's just this bland, uninteresting thing. That's just, it's, it, it's just a free elective, whatever. And he's like, no, 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 it's great. It's it's all about, you know, role-playing a character and doing X, Y, and Z. And I started to get a little bit more interested because um, uh, I'm a heavy-duty role-player. Like, I, I DM in my free time. Um, uh, so I decided to take this course out of curiosity, uh, mostly because of that, um, because I'm always interested in seeing how people role-play, um, partially because I'm, you know, in the directing stream. So seeing how actors act is kind of important uh, to how to do this. Uh, I, so I took the course not expecting too much and I, so far I've had an absolute blast. It has been one of my most favorite courses in these last four years. Um, and one of the things that uh, I research uh, on a regular basis is the concept of gamification, uh, which is, if for people who don't know what that is, um, it's the concept of transforming learning material into uh, a game in order to teach people and have it. The science behind it is that uh, kids will be able to uh, internalize something that's more presented as a game rather than as a lecture. Uh, if they're having fun and having a good time, then they're more likely to remember the material. They're actually researching and trying this out on like elementary schools and uh, high schools at the moment. And this is just a perfect example of how gamification works. Uh, like even at a university level, um, you know, it, it just, like I know more things about 
like the Chicago riots than I thought I would ever know in my lifetime. And that stuff is going to stick in there forever. Like uh, I know more about the Nixon administration and constitutional law which i never thought i'd know anything about at this point um but yeah it's it's been an absolute amazing experience and just the ability to empathize with characters and be forced to be placed in your shoes i have played a lot of southern lawyers uh for the last couple of games i despise a lot of them but i understand where they're coming from especially in the Chicago riots game, they, they make this point of, uh, you know, it's not racism, it's just states' rights. And, you know, it's just getting to that point. And, like, when I'm reading this, I'm shaking my head and going, yeah, it's racism. It's totally racism. Like, you can't say that it's not racism. They're trying to get rid of civil rights. Um, but you have to put yourself in that mindset of, you know, this is what politicians at the time believe, or at least will be using as a weapon. And when you put it in that, when you start to see the mental arithmetic that they must be going under at that time, you, you may not like them, but you'll empathize with them and understand where they're coming from. Again, you don't agree with them. I certainly don't agree with them, but you know, it's, it's just another way of learning that I find absolutely fascinating. It puts a name, it puts a face to a name. Like I might not think of the actual person, but I'm going to think of one of you when I think of that character. And that gives you kind of a grounding in that history. Mm, you'll remember my Southern drawl is what you'll remember. <laughs> For sure. I think that it totally, um, it brings the history to life and makes it a story, right? Like you think about if in a lecture, we would never have the full um, experience. You would never be able to visualize and conceptualize the interactions between all of these historic characters, which is like, it's so cool. Uh, I'm Sarah Karens, and I am a fourth year political science major. And I found the 390B, the previous uh, version of this course on Reddit. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Professor Cleves that posted it. Um, but I, was, I missed my sign up date so for classes, so I needed more classes. And all my poli sci ones were full. So I found this advertisement for it on Reddit and I signed up. And I've never done any kind of role playing or LARPing or any of that before, but I have some friends who are into, into it. And so, anyway, so I went in with a very open mind. And I have loved this class like last semester and this semester, I swear, it's like my lifeline that is keeping me alive through Zoom University. And I feel like Al was saying earlier, like, oh, we've been in this for six months. And I was like, oh my gosh, I talk to these people in my class more often than I talk to my family and my IRL friends. Um, and so aside from the pedagogy and how amazing it is and all of that, but I think that's been like such an important part of this class for me on a total other level, aside from the learning, the interaction that I have, like having it three days a week, um, it never feels like, oh, I have to be live, like th there three days a week. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to log in and like people are going to 
you know, <laughs> argue with me and be like, my characters, I feel like I've been playing very polarizing characters, but it's just that interaction is so needed right now and makes me feel like so much better. So I love that. It's like one of the biggest parts for me, but also I feel in my program and in a traditional classroom, the way my brain works and the way I have to view my learning or the way I do is that I learn what I need to learn. And then after the semester is over, that information is like in and out after the midterm, in and out after the final, um, because there's just no room for it. And it's just very, very surface level. It doesn't stick around. But I feel like through last semester, like, yeah, I can tell you about Norwich's uh, struggles through the Black Death and the plague. And then, you know, George Washington, all, all this stuff, because we lived it. And it was like, it feels like learning through a conversation or like learning through an experience. And because it's not just like one dimensional, um, I know like you, Al and Clay were kind of talking about this, but you feel like it's something you lived through in a way, like you remember it as not as a memory is how it feels like to me. Um, especially the Chicago uh, convention. It feels like a memory. I'm like, Oh yeah, last month at the convention. Um, so I think the long, like just to talk about the pedagogy and like learning through role playing, I think at least for me, the my long term memory of what we've been studying is going to be, I'm going to remember all of these events and remember what we've been studying for way longer than I would in any other class. And uh, just to finish up, I think that it, it might seem to others as like, oh, it's just like you're learning through a game, like the gamification. It's like, that's kind of a joke class, but it's like, no, I spend more time on this class than any of my other classes, not because it's difficult, but because I want to. And because like the reading and the prime, like the reading of primary sources that we do, the evidence that you have to gather, you know, people are gonna, your public speak, speaking skills that you're developing. Um, I just think, but it doesn't feel like, overwhelming amounts of work because you want to do it and because it's so necessary and I feel such a connection into the classroom and it's not like oh I have to do that work it's like I have to do my assignment or my research for my speech today or else I'm gonna let um you know someone down like my the democrats down and the republicans are gonna win um so that's how I feel about this class and it's just the camaraderie is the best part of it for me though and just to jump in real quick, the sheer engagement that players have put in with each other. I'm wearing a suit, okay? I never wear a suit, except for these games. And the sheer number of things that players have done throughout all of this, you know, some players have like doused themselves in fake pig blood because they were, you know, one of the rioters at the Chicago convention and just little details like people dressing up, wearing ridiculous hats, just, all of this could not be possible in a normal class. And I have just... never worn a hat so much in my life as <laughs> it, over that period of time. I, I'm whiter than white, and my parents would always hound me to wear a hat during the summer. I hated it. And the fact of the matter is, is that we are role-playing history, but we get some... We can dramatically change it. The fact that we're playing a Nixon campaign where Nixon might be able to get off scot-free if people try hard enough, like that encourages people to actually look at the facts and 
it, it means that the lawyers who are representing Nixon do have a chance and that they should engage and they shouldn't just be like, oh, Nixon's going to get impeached. Like, why should I care, et cetera, et cetera. Um, again, that gamification is really important and it really encourages people to engage. Shall I say something? So my name is Lily Millar. I am a fourth year. Actually, this is my last semester, unfortunately. And most of my time has been at the school, like studying more like European history, like 20th century. So this past, this is my second semester in this role play course. Basically, they're like, okay, you're done all your, you know, your standard history for your little area of expertise. So I'm like, okay, I got some stuff to fill. So I'm like looking through and I see this like role play class. I'm like, okay, that seems interesting. And, and for September. And so then on the first day um, on Zoom, and it was like, oh, I was like, oh my God, this sounds like so much work. Do I want to do this? And I was like, I kind of felt swept up in it anyway, because I think on the first day we like were starting um, a miniature, like that Greek game, the ancient Greece game. And I'm like, okay. And then I felt like, damn, I can't like let my team down. I already have a role. And then I kind of just got swept up into it. And here I am like, you know, almost six months later. But yeah, it's been, like Sarah was saying, it's been great because it's so engaging. This is like my social hour. It makes all my other classes feel so dull. Without this course, like I, I can understand where people's mental health has gone down the drain and like where they're feeling so isolated. But luckily, like I feel like I know people. I, this is kind of like a throwback to like high school when you would actually be in the class and you'd have to talk to people because you're with them five days a week. So that aspect of the class, um, aside from like the learning, has been really refreshing. And then on top of it, yeah, actually like taking on a role of a of a historical figure, having to actually kind of pretty much surround yourself in the material, um, not just on like a surface level. And you kind of have in having to formulate an argument and use sources and try to get people on board with you and using back channels. The Chicago game was really interesting because I was so amazed because I'm I'm not like an American historian person, but I've taken a couple classes and I was just shook after that game how much 1968 and 67 echoed 2020. It felt like I was living in 2020 in the 60s. Like it's the same stuff. It's the same, you know, issues of race. It's the same issues of the presidency. It's the same issues of law and order. And I thought, wow, like what a fitting, fitting game for that. This game with Nixon, it feels like an uphill battle. I'm like, I'm not a conservative person. So having to throw myself into a role where I am like, um, totally not on the same page politically has been interesting and having to like put myself into a mindset has been a challenge but yeah it's been making me like you know want to keep up and and do good with my team and I've been happy to have this uh social aspect social lifeline through the hell that's been <laughs> the pandemic online schooling so that's my little two cents 
Can we talk about that social aspect real quick? Because I think that's really interesting. This class allows you to have those interactions without getting to that toxic level where you're with these people all the time. You're competing with them all the time. You know, there's this very strange relationship between everyone. And then there's also the fact that there's a way healthier relationship between the students and the teacher. Dr. Cleves is an excellent teacher for this class as well. Um, it allows you to have those connections without getting into a too toxic territory. So I really appreciate that about this class. I was just going to say, it also breaks the ice because you're forced to, you know, reach out to people, but I'm not reaching out to Thomas. I'm not reaching out to Clay on the first day of class. I'm reaching out to, you know, the Southern lawyer, or I'm reaching out to, you know, Bella Lusbug or whatever, the protester. So it's like, I'm forced to make a repertoire with this person and without actually having the pressure of Lily being like, hi, it's no, it's Dan Rather from CBS News or whoever it is reaching out, which I think is, you know, because you can sit in a class with everyone for, um, you know, three months and Mm -hmm. maybe know their names, but nothing much besides, hey. Things can get heated in in these games, as I'm sure all of you can agree, you know, some uh you can get pretty angry in character on on things that are going on and you can have arguments with uh, for and against uh, but it doesn't feel toxic mm-hmm. uh and that's one of the things i feel like is really important for that is at the end of the game we have a cool down period where everyone just sits down talks about their role talks about their strategy about what they did i am not this character i am not this racist lawyer i am Clay Sheldon, let's have a talk about that. And people can be able to separate fact from fiction and be like, okay, the game is over. Let's move on and see what we've learned from there. A hundred percent. Like when you've made your argument and you know, you're like, my argument is good. Like I researched this, it's great. And then someone's like, no, (laughs) you're not a lawyer. And you're like, oh my God. And they just keep like breaking down your argument and trying to tear it apart and you're just like oh my gosh this person is so unreasonable I can't believe they're just not getting it like why aren't they just listening to my point and it's not making sense in their brain how and then you're like oh wait they have a sheet of paper that's telling them exactly what to say and no matter what you say they're probably never going to agree with you (laughs) and it's like that mental toughness and like like you just want to like freak out at the end of the zoom call but then you're like oh wait no that's not actually Hutchinson that's just Lily like like or like you can separate it you know yeah I mean it shows that like regardless of who you are like everyone has a political agenda um you know they have an agenda of some sort not not necessarily Mm -hmm. political um but you know you you kind of see that and again it, it kind of ties back to the whole empathy thing in that when you're assigned a role to a character that you don't like, you know, you have to do enough research and due diligence to at least understand why they think the way they do. Um, and, you know, that's a major learning experience. Thomas, do you want to, do you want to say anything? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, introductions, Thomas Northeast, fourth year history student. Yes. My last name is spelled exactly how it sounds. And honestly, like the biggest thing I've taken away from this, uh, this class or two classes since I took uh, 390A was just how fundamentally different it is to every other form of education I've been through, which has been a surprising variety. Uh, even it, with the other online classes, it was 
like for, yeah, for three years, it was really just, here's your book, here's uh, your weekly assignment, go nuts. Like that, this is, and e even then there's some, uh, I'm taking at least one course this term that's pretty much the same, except I watch a movie instead of reading the book. And there's just being able to sit down and interact with other people as if you were in a classroom, despite the distance is so fundamentally different. And I don't think it would work with every class. There's, I definitely had a couple classes last term where every time the, the prof said, okay, everyone turn on your mics, we're gonna have a discussion. I just, you just have that, I don't wanna do this right now. But this is something I genuinely look forward to. And I genuinely uh, enjoy being able to be someone I'm not for a few hours, even if that person is a literal slave owner. This sort of class just in being different is also probably one of the most valuable I've ever taken. And But yeah, being able to be uh, put in the shoes of someone at that time whose interests were firmly uh, invested against uh, ending slavery is very, yeah, it, it's very different and puts a lot of new perspective on so many issues. Like there, there's things I never thought I would ever have to defend or, or even just be around. And yeah, those, that's been my experience with this. And the fact that we're even like talking about it, like just discussing, oh man, remember that one time where I did X, Y, and Z? Oh man, remember when everyone died of the plague? Uh, you know, that, that reinforces the information that you're learning. You know, you're talking about the, these events and, and, you know, we're going to remember this. And as a result, we're going to retain the information. It, it's, it's brilliant. And one last point on that, um, like when it is an interesting uh, pedagogy, because you do think about um, one of the major critiques about how history is taught in, you know, Canada and the United States is that it's taught, like who is it taught, whose perspective is it taught from and whose voices um, and whose stories are we listening to and whose accounts of history. And I think that this, the game, really opens the door for history being taught from at all sides of um, like in all voices. It's just, you're balancing so many things, but at the same time you are giving voices to characters who were not given voices in the account of history previously. Yeah. By understanding, you know, historical perspectives, you can use that as a baseline to sort of understand your own perspective and, you know, learn from the, learn from history to better uh, influence the future. Thank you to Dr. Cleves for all the hard work you've put into bringing this pedagogy to you, Vic. And thank you to Al, Clay, Sarah, Lily, and Thomas for being part of this episode. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on You in the Ring. <laughs>